Hello all, and welcome to the Lunar City Spire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 97, and today we'll be talking about the first week of the summer adventure. I'm GC13. I'm Sophia. What's poppin', people? I'm Ken. So, uh, special guest Ken comes out of retirement to talk about this first week of hype. How cool is that? Yeah, it's been like 20 episodes or something. It's been a while. I think this is not going to be so much as, you know, first, what, six episodes of Summer Steven? More like, you know, Mr. Greg with some side action. Some other episodes happened. You know, I, w- I want to save the meat of talking about each episode for, you know, when we when this whole thing's finally over and we can start giving them their individual treatments. But there are some things I want to say about everything, Mr. Greg included. Yeah, absolutely. Just at, like, a high level, uh, do you want to start with just overall impressions of this bomb, I guess? Oh, yes, I do. I loved this week. This was this was a fantastic week of episodes, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. going back to classic status here, because I disagree, GC. I did not really care for it all that much. I had, like, okay, well, Stephen Floats doesn't count, because we saw it, like, three weeks ago. Or at least I did, because I have no self-control. Um, Droppy Dad was like, eh. Mr. Greg was amazing. Too Short to Ride was, 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 it was pretty good. I really liked it. The new Lars was eh, Beach City Drift was okay. So, like, this bomb wasn't fantastically amazing, but it wasn't, it wasn't garbage either. It was pretty good. Now, you see, I think Too Short to Ride was utterly fantastic. Probably by my, probably my favorite. Um, Mr. Greg and, uh, the new Lars were pretty good, and I, I guess we'll have a short conversation about the new Lars, because I know that this is a very controversial episode in the fandom. I don't understand why either, but yeah. I, but I really like Steven Floats also. Um, Drop Beat Dad, it's okay. Um, I think it's kind of limited by the fact that you know what Marty's like. And Beach City Drift, I am mostly upset that they took away the joke by naming it after the joke I wanted to make, so... <laughs> okay. But it is pretty fun. Yeah, I think, like, if we're gonna go from, like, least favorite episode, like, definitely my least favorite episode was Droppy Dad. Not because it was, like, bad, but because it was so predictable. Like, the whole stepdad comes in, stepdad tries to, like, you know, play to, for all the, step like, the, for Sour Cream's, like, weaknesses, like, he supports his music career, but in the end, like, he's all selfish and he's a you know, deadbeat dad for reason and then stepdad, you know, like, like the the whole plot was very cookie cutter. Like you could predict the end from the. Yeah, it was, it was pretty predictable, but I will say for this, Marty could have been sleazy in any number of ways and he chose to be a, be a pitch man. Well, that's true. Yeah, actually, I agree that the episode was very predictable, but they actually threw in a little curveball just in well, just in terms of how well they were able to portray Marty like trying to appear as a nice guy. I was really hoping that he actually had reformed himself, which is like foolish on my part. Like obviously, he they wouldn't actually write him that way, but I think it would have been a lot better. So I dig the first half of the episode when to me it was kind of ambiguous as to whether or not he was going to turn out to be a good guy at the end. But the second half when it just goes like completely cookie, uh, cookie cutter route, I was really disappointed. And I know somebody's gonna get us in the comments if we don't mention what is this a concert for ants? Ah, yeah. Dropping a bit of Zoolander on us. <laughs> I, I I understood that reference. Alright, so if we're gonna, you know, cut into these episodes, you wanna go just in order, or? Yeah, let's talk about, we'll, we'll talk about Stephen Floats first, since, you know, we've been holding off on it until the American release. 
I was so happy that this was our first episode back. It's Stephen's love for Beach City, but marred by uh, the appearance of a new power, and we get Stephen doing the fourth wall joke with the, oh boy, those feelings are complicated, or oh geez, those feelings are complicated with his mother's portrait. Yeah, the whole fourth wall break where he, like, shoves the picture back upwards, that was really funny. But, um, <laughs> it was interesting how, like, it's so rare, so rare to get, like, new powers revealed in episodes, and then suddenly this bomb drops, like, three. So, yeah. like, the, I think it was Steven's floating, um, Peridot's telekinesis, and then Steven's ability to possess people, um... Well, he's possessed the Watermelon Stevens before, so this is just a new application of an old power. Yeah, but he created them, so that's like... But yeah, so Steven, like, his whole... Like, I, I was so overwhelmed, and I was like, he's getting a whole new power? And then um, then we got a couple new ones, so the value was yeah. a little bit dropped. But I did, I did enjoy this part of it. I didn't really like that episode that much. It wasn't bad. It was just completely okay. I saw it, like... Whenever it leaked, I don't even remember how long ago that was. And it was was a fine episode. I just don't really have anything to say about it. Completely meh to me. But I really liked Stephen Floats. I'm pretty sure we've seen the Cookie Cat uh, alarm clock before. I want to say it was probably in House Guest, but I want one of those. Yeah, and I think, like, it's interesting how, you know, in Stephen Floats, like, he's, like, shoving the Rose Portrait back up, like, oh, those feelings are complicated. And yet... Two episodes later, in Mr. Greg, he's, like, awkwardly shoving his mom into the conversation with Greg and Rose. And it's like, it'll be Greg, Rose, me, and don't forget my mom. And, like... Okay, well, in Steven's defense, the whole point of the trip was to create an interpersonal crisis between Greg and Pearl. So he wanted to prime the pump and make sure both of them were thinking about Rose. Still yeah, creepy. but that was like that was that's creepy. That's one hundred percent creepy. Like the last thing you want to be thinking about is how like this kid is like literally their parent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Drop beat dad next. Uh, I think I think one of the big pieces of excitement from Drop Beat Dad is that they're finally being like way out in the open about Steven's super strength. Oh yeah, that yeah that was another one. It was like. We've already seen it, like, a lot of people have predicted it, but this is, like, plain out in the open. Steven is absurdly strong. I mean, two other characters reacted to it. Yeah, yeah. so it's not just- and it's, um, it's interesting how, like, characters will react to the gem powers going on. Like, they're sort of- like, they, they acknowledge that it's strange, but they're just sort of like, eh. Like, 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 they don't think it's impossible. So they see Steven lifting something that, like, two grown men would struggle to lift with no problem at all. And they're just like, man, what do they feed him? Steven possesses someone else. And they're just like, oh, man, that was really not cool. And Steven, what? And Steven floats. He, like, jumps and bangs his head on the ceiling. And Sadie's just like, ouch. Like, there's no real what the heck you can jump, you know, like hundreds of feet into the air and I, I do have to say by the way about steven hitting his head on the ceiling i loved that they did an oh bother <laughs> i feel like they threw that one in just for me <laughs> i mean this is a problem we've had since the beginning of the series just people don't react to magic in this world don't know why it's yeah. kind of bothered me the entire time but that's the way it is i think like it's the point where magic shows up enough where they're just sort of like accepting it like questioning it every single time leads to Ronaldo people. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, speaking of Ronaldo, Ronaldo was brilliant in a couple episodes. One of which was Drop Beat Dad. It's not even good on chips. 
Oh my and before God. that, it's some guy! Good lines. Classic Ronaldo. And of course, Onion loves the Coca-Cola. Like, <laughs> obviously. Obviously he would. He hates food. He has to get his sustenance from somewhere, though. I have my problems with a lot of these episodes, but the joke writing was on point in every single one. They were all very funny. Okay, Ken, this is where we disagree, because I found Ronaldo very unpleasant, as I, you know, tend to. But, like, I think... I, f- I really pinpointed my issue with Ronaldo is that it's not him or his personality. Like, it's not his fault at all. It's how the show treats him. Like, they treat him like a totally legitimate, good, wonderful character when it's like he's essentially the box ghost from Danny Phantom. I think they treat him like a crank, not like a legit character. I don't know. They I do feel try like and give him, him some emotional sincerity, sincerity sometimes. Like, not all the time, but often enough. Yeah, but... Think about it with, like, Kevin or with uh, Marty. They're both treated as, like, their behavior is not cool. But Ronaldo's behavior is, like, you know, I don't know, like, it, it, it obnoxious to a point, And, like, the show doesn't acknowledge it in any real way. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, like... And also, is Ronaldo and the Box Ghost, do they share a voice actor? Because it just came to me, like, they sound really similar. No, they have different voice actors. Oh, okay. So, moving on to... Mr. Greg, let's all shake a leg. Uh, Looks like Marty was good for something after all. I mean, yeah, sure, he got three quarters of that. So he made 30 million off of that sale. But Greg's apparently a really bad negotiator, or at least he was back then. So four times nothing's nothing. I say Marty done good, even if he is kind of a sleazeball. Yeah, I mean, like, if anything, the guy knows how to make money. Although, you know, he apparently wasted enough money where he has to... Work for Guacola. I mean, not an easy product to sell. They must be paying him good, or... Well, they sponsored everybody, according to the Keep Beach City Weird blog, so maybe not. But lots of songs in Mr. Greg. The the big three everybody's going to be talking about are, of course, going to be Mr. Greg, uh, It's Over, Isn't It, and I think it's called Both of You. Yes. Oh my god, those... Like, it was, the whole episode was a musical episode, and I didn't even notice. Like, it wasn't until the end when I realized, man, there's a lot of songs in this episode. And it turns out, like, the whole point of the episode was to be musical. And that's what I love about Steven Universe is, like, the music is so integrated into the show that, like, you don't even realize. I mean, I loved all of them, although being a Pearl fanatic, I, of course, love It's Over, Isn't It? Mm-hmm. the best. Mm-hmm. There was one part where the animation really killed me. It's after she comes down off of the balcony and she's leaning over it. Uh, you know, Miss Hall is really singing hard at that point, but Pearl's just standing there like she's talking, you know, talking to the city. And it's just her character doesn't seem to be putting the oomph into it that her voice is. Oh, no, no, no. I thought the opposite. Like, when she was just shouting, you know, uh, it's over, like, the second time that verse came up, when she just, like, shouted it into the city, like, something about that really resonated with me. Like, there was so much emotion into that animation and the voice acting that. Well, there's some of it that's animated right, and some of it where it's not. It just, there's, that seems to be, there's one little part of it. Yeah, like, I feel like, when you're going to have a lot of fluid animation where it's like every frame's a little bit different than the last one and everything moves, like when you sometimes have a little bit of like the shortcutting where like one thing will stay still and the rest will be moving or something like that, like it kind of stands out. 
And so, like, Pearl would be moving very fluidly, like, every, you know, aspect of her body would move in every frame, and then, like, it'll stop for a second, and then it'll just be her head or her arms that are moving, and, like, that kind of, like, jerks the animation. Like, it kind of, I don't know. I did love her stray Pearl strut where she's dipping her foot oh, under the, oh, under the balcony. Yes. That was, that was magnificent. I don't know, they, they had to have got that from somewhere, but wherever it was, it was perfect. It's like a ballet thing for, not ballet, um, like the dancing thing, you have like the, the bar and you hop on it and do flips and whatever. Yeah, but that. that was, that was a perfect choice Ooh, for, yes. for that section. That moment where she's like yelling into the city and, um, where she's like swinging the, um, the rose around like a sword. Yeah, that was All, nice. Those three moments just like mm, stick yeah. in my head. They're so good. The animation in this episode was really, really good, but I really mm-hmm. dislike the emotional resolution at the end. Like, if that's supposed to be anything approximating a resolution to the Greg, uh, Pearl conflict, like, from here on out, that's immensely disappointing. Like, it's incredibly underwhelming. They should have been able to handle that much better. To try and cram that into an 11-minute episode is pretty absurd. Oh, yeah. Like, I was reading, like, there was this whole post that, um, Joe Johnson had posted about, like, his whole, the whole process of making the, um, It's Over, Isn't It song. And, like, over and over in the process writing, they kept on talking about all these cuts were made for time. All these cuts were made for time. And I feel like that episode, having an extra five minutes, would have just added so much to the pacing. And I feel like the writers have definitely learned how to really make the most out of an 11 minute episode. But I think, like, even they feel the time restraints where, yeah, like this is like we say this over and over again, but an extra five, ten minutes on this episode would have easily like fixed the pacing and made it feel a lot more like Yeah. Complete at the end. In this case though, I don't know if even an extra five or ten minutes would have helped. Um like I really needed like four or five episodes for this. This is like an incredibly big deal to Pearl. It's like the center of her entire character arc. It I don't know, it deserves a lot of time, I feel. Well, in their defense, she knows she needs to get over Yeah, this. yeah, that was, like, a big thing about this episode that makes it different from Rosa Scabbard or, um... I mean, the whole point of It's Over, Isn't It, is, you know, she's asking herself, why am I so stuck up on this? Yeah, like, there's this level of self-awareness that Pearl has that, like, everyone always paints, like, paints Pearl as, like, this oblivious character that doesn't understand how emotionally damaged she is. And, like, she totally understands. She totally understands that she is, like, devastated over Rose, and, like, she knows why she's devastated over Rose, but she just wants to get over it and to move on and to be there for Steven, and she doesn't want to view Greg as, like, the reason Rose is gone, or especially not... Especially doesn't want to view Steven like that either. And so, like, that whole scene where she's, like, really acknowledging her flaws and you know, like, her frustration with trying to get over it was, like, really powerful. And I think, like, it does speak the message of, um, when people are, like, stuck up on something, like, asking them, why am I not over it, why am I not over it, and, like, the whole solution was just to communicate with Greg. Like, I feel like that does have a lot of, like, from my experiences, that really does have kind of a realistic emotional flow to it, if that makes sense. It sounds like we're gonna have one heck of a time discussing this episode in its solo episode because I don't think the ending was that compressed. I think I think it was a little quick, but I, th- I think they did pretty good. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely like when Stephen at the end of um the song at the end when he says it's over, isn't it? Like I feel like that was misplaced where he kind of yeah, says absolutely. like 
Yeah. Like, it's not over. Like, Pearl and Greg yeah. have mm. only just crossed a barrier where they can now feel comfortable communicating about their feelings and what happened and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't mean it's over. It doesn't mean the feelings are gone. It doesn't mean that they're both not grieving for Rose. Like, there's definitely a lot of healing that has to happen, but there's, like, this big hurdle that was jumped. And I think, like, that is the big point of this episode, not to completely resolve the conflict between Pearl and Greg, but to really, like, address what is happening and how they can move on from it. Well, I hope so. I just, I intuitively, I it seems to me like that's not the direction they're going. I feel like they're going to act like the problem has actually been resolved. If you're yeah. right, and I hope you are, then I, I have no problems this episode. But I, yeah. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be the same thing as like the whole Sardonyx arc. Like Pearl and Garnet had this like huge conflict going on. And like the end of it was phrased with, you know, like it's going to take a while before I can forgive you, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, by the time we see them interacting again, they're all totally fine. And so I think this is going to be the case with this one, too. Like, we just have to, you know, not take it off at face screen, value. Off yeah, screen off screen. Development. Head yeah, cannons, that sucks, as the kids but call okay. it. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to my favorite episode, the, the Peridot episode. How could I not love it? Yeah, it was the best one, for sure. Yeah, I feel like definitely having a break from Peridot did a lot to make me warm up to her again because I was feeling like Peridot episode after Peridot episode after Peridot episode is amazing as she may, may be. Like, there are other characters in the show and um, seeing that addressed and seeing that development happen and then going back to Peridot like, definitely made me a lot more excited to see her and she was, like, more welcome to see on the screen again, so. I think the break helped, but what I loved most of all was the complete change of scenery and focus. This yes. Is, this is just Peridot exploring Beach City. This is this is what I like to see. Well, also just random gem places, but Beach City too. Oh my god, this episode is just probably one of the most quotable episodes in Steven Universe. Just everything Peridot says, everything that comes out of her mouth is just like... Mr. Smiley, everything he says. <laughs> I, I, in Sadie's song... I was not sure about the new voice actor. I am sold now. He can take over for Sinbad and he will do just fine. I don't even notice the difference. Like, I, I, did, I noticed it in Sadie's song, but I don't anymore. Perfect. He's on point. Everything I need. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, the, the whole joke where he's single-handedly running Funland and how that might be <laughs> the reason why he accepted Steven and his friends back because he needs the money. But, oh, my God. And he's like, you guys want another Lifetime ban? It was just, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like how <laughs> uh, I like the thunderstaffed joke. That was nice. <laughs> this episode, the quotes about Peridot, where she's just like, where it's like, that's what friends do. And then like when um, Amethyst goes to throw her tablet into the ocean and she's like, my whole life, that's my whole life. And it's just, they're gold. It's just gold, solid gold, the whole episode. Yeah, I, ooh, again, I, th it was the one I was most hyped for and I definitely enjoyed it. I was... Ooh, really happy to see it. I love, I, I, I love just, it's so cute, Peridot hugging her alien plush. Oh, yes, absolutely. Just, you know, all the Lauren Zook cameos over and over again. <laughs> I'd buy a plush like that. Yes, and how she was like, its head is so big and full of thoughts. It was just like... Yeah, her eyes so compassionate. Her yeah. the eyes so compassionate. And it was like, I don't know, something about the fact that it was thoughts and not knowledge was really funny to me. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I guess she's used to having information. That's nothing special to her. It's doing stuff with it that impresses Peridot. <laughs> uh, so you liked it, Ken? Yeah. I mean, the joke writing... High five! Has... We agree on something. <laughs> yeah, we do agree every now and then, GC. The gro joke writing for this entire bomb has been, like, absolutely A+. I think the episodes 
have definitely gotten funnier over time. Uh, season three has lost something for me emotionally a little bit so far, but it's like been the funniest season. So there's that. Well, yeah, I feel like this episode had like, it was a lot of jokes and fun and like all that, but like it kind of had like the whole under theme about, you know, Peridot feeling like inadequate and how like Amethyst kind of identifies with that and how they have like a kind of heart to heart. And I feel like that was like just a little bit of, you know, emotional sugar on top of the pie or something. I don't know what the expression yeah. is. Amethyst mm. really showed her maturity in this episode. I don't think pre-reformed Amethyst would have been so calm and asked, okay, what's really wrong with shape-shifting? Yeah, but in the end, she did try and throw the tablet away because Peridot wasn't paying attention to her, so... Well, she was trying to help Peridot because Peridot's trying to bury herself away from this issue, and she thinks Peridot really needs to, you know, accept herself. I, I, I don't think that was out of anger. I think that was attempting to boost Peridot's character arc forward, and it did, but not the way she thought it would. I think it was a little bit out of anger. Yeah, I think it was, like, a little bit out of, you know, I'm trying to help you and you're being, you know, you're avoiding the situation, that kind of frustration, which we all kind yeah, of get. Yeah, this, this is stopping me from helping you. Yeah, like, the whole <laughs> thing where it's, like, when you're trying to comfort someone who's, like, emotionally upset and they're being frustrating, like, everyone kind of gets that feeling. And I feel like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something Amethyst would do. So, the new Lars. Eh. I feel like Steven was really out of character in this episode. Like, he was both really in character by being so, like, incredibly cheerful in Lars's body, but also kind of out of character by, like, wanting to direct all of Lars's life. By being highly unethical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> I like this episode because of that, though. Especially after the end of, um... Mr. Greg, I get a very strong vibe that Steven was becoming a character who's a little bit of a Mary Sue, a little bit like Rose used to be portrayed as, like a character that's basically very wise and very empathetic and can do no wrong. I really, really like that he messed up so bad and did things that were so wildly unethical, but still perfectly in character for him. Yeah, yeah he completely misread Sadie. Yeah, I f no, I feel like um, I would have definitely agreed with Ken in this if like the episode had really treated Steven... Steven's actions as being like bad like they really didn't make it that clear or like when they did they didn't really do it that much like it was all based on how Lars is such a jerk Lars is so mean Lars is so you know unsociable mm. and like really kind of glancing over the fact that like Steven is kind of butting into someone's life and like something that is definitely not his place like I've always thought if there were ever like that kind of you know stereotypical situation where I switch bodies with someone like the thing I would do would literally just sit around all day and figure out how to reverse it because yeah, I don't right, want to yeah. mess up someone's life I don't want someone to mess up my life like just try and lay low until the problem gets fixed and Steven was like this is my opportunity to make Lars a better person and it's like that's something that Lars kind of has to do himself like that's not something that you can just control like that mm. and, and i don't think that episode really addressed that as much as i would have liked it to they, sh they showed steven really beat up about it at the end yeah, yeah the only reason he didn't get more beat up about it was because lars was too busy being despondent that all his effort to be cool and you know likable by being cool is for nothing because they like it when he acts like the annoying <laughs> little goofball steven is and he's like hmm. why yeah, the episode definitely does address it, but maybe not to the extent that it warranted. Like, I think the message in that was more that um, Lars was so desperate for the attention and, uh, like, high opinion of the cool kids, and they didn't really like him for who he was. But Sadie liked him for who he was, and Lars really didn't, you know, like, 
wouldn't give her the time of day. So I think like him definitely seeing that the cool kids didn't like him for who he was. They liked him for who Steven was and how Sadie didn't like Steven and Lars's body. Sadie likes the original Lars, although she doesn't like how, you know, Lars can be a jerk in some ways. But I feel like that message was definitely something that I really did like on how like, don't waste your time trying to, you know, get the approval of people who don't like you for who you are and like focus on the people who appreciate you as like the person that you are or something like that. It was also really hilarious watching Lars's body and voice actor say that he'll he'll be a panther. Lars's voice actor did an excellent job this episode. Yeah. Like 10 out of 10. So good. Yeah, just portraying completely different emotion, the voice work and animation that went into making Steven doing his I'm Lars, I'm Lars, I'm <laughs> Lars, I'm Lars, I'm Lars. Yeah, and I think like a lot of people have said this, but I want to say it too, how um Lars having Lars's voice and not Steven's voice coming out of Lars's mouth. Like, I like that. I liked how, yeah, because I've always thought so about it. It's like the voice box is the same. He should still sound like Lars, although he should sound like Steven in like his syntax and grammar and the way he speaks, but not the actual tone. Like the voice should be the same. And I loved how they kept it, how they did yeah. that in this episode. Mm. And it was trickier, but it was also completely worth it. Like the payoff. And there's something else I have to mention, so the comment section doesn't mention for us. Noise. Oh uh, yeah. Uh. Huh? <laughs> I'd also like to mention that Steven's powers have been getting like really creepy. Like he can create <laughs> life now and he can take over people's bodies and he like feels completely comfortable living the lives of sentient entities like the watermelon <laughs> yeah. and Lars. He doesn't he doesn't hesitate for a second. It's uh, a little bit unsettling. Yeah, the possession power is the one of the more morally gray of those, like how he just like destroys the lives of those watermelons. Like those are sentient yeah. watermelons with emotions <laughs> and relationships, and he just sends them off to die in adorable little watermelon slices. And then he goes and takes over Lars's body and like doesn't bat an eye at it, although he does feel a little bad at the end. But <laughs> I mean, I, I think know. you're being generous by calling it emotionally or uh, morally gray. It's like almost <laughs> close to downright evil, honestly. But okay. well, if it wasn't Steven. Yeah. <laughs> like, Steven, who, like, means no wrong, but can get a little bit carried away. I don't sure. know. Sure. I mean, he doesn't have bad intentions, but it's still, um, it's highly dubious at best. Yeah, the, the what is it, the path to villainy is paved with good intentions or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Close enough. But, ooh, we, we, we finally got Kevin time, you guys. Uh, we got Kevin time back. Okay, so, I love that episode. I loved it because of the message at the end. Like, the, like I felt like the whole episode was just sort of eh until, like, the twist at the end. How it wasn't Stevani winning against Kevin. How it wasn't them just showing him, like, eh, you know, screw you, flipping him the finger. How it was all about don't, like, obsess over the people that are jerks to you. Like, be your own person and don't, like, form your identity or actions around someone who, like, just tries to piss you off for attention. Yeah, I, th I thought it was pretty, pretty predictable that Stevani would lose, but I loved the way that Kevin broke down at the end there. That was, that was a nice touch, I think. Yeah, it's like, it's like the whole message that they always teach you. It's like, oh, don't respond to bullies. Like, that's what they want. But like, I always felt like that was like kind of bad. It's like, how am I not supposed to respond to bullies? But I think like the way Stevani did it was very, like, it was well done. Like, it was how, you know, like, don't try to spend so much time proving that you're better than the bully, because then you end up very much proving that you are not, that you're just the same as them. And so, 
like showing that Stevani was just completely unaffected by him when like his whole identity is around I'm so amazing that people around me like either hate me or love me like the whole Stevani just being like unaffected by him and how that affected him so much mm-hmm. like that I don't know something about that like really resonated with me I, th- I thought him waiting up for Stevani after the initial breakup I I love the the visual appearance of what it looks like when Stevani is about to break apart, by the way. I, I thought that was, especially in this circumstance, although the ghostly Kevin face was probably a bit much, but I think Kevin waiting up so that he could show Stevani up, like, rather than just, you know, smoking all the way down to the bottom, he's gotta, he's gotta, he's gotta let Stevani see him win. Yeah. I thought that was classic Kevin. Mm. Yeah, and, and, oh my god, I was so, like... How all the characters were just like, that is two kids and one person, and we're all just sort of cool with that. Like, (laughs) that is probably the apex of everyone just being insanely and very weirdly cool with, like, the magic stuff that goes on. Like, two kids, like, this isn't two kids in a trench coat. This is two kids literally becoming one person. There, There is probably a hashtag on cheaper Just Steven things. Just Steven. Okay, and like, Stevani, neither Steven nor Connie have experienced driving, and yet they fuse into Stevani and they suddenly understand everything there is about a car. Like, either that is some Stevani power, or... They can do some serious drifting is what they can do. Yeah! Holy cow. Like a stick shift. Like, okay, maybe driving an automatic car, like, after 15 minutes of just messing with it, you'd kind of get the hang of it, but a stick shift and drifting, like, What? How did how were they even able to comprehend like the process needed for that to happen? Like that's the power of the Supremo. But is it like the the the, the ship is only as good as its captain or its pilot or whatever you want to say? Like you saw like the whole mechanics of Stevani really. Yeah, Stevani St- Stevani can handle the manual transmission pretty well. Yeah. Wow. I mean, ooh. also got to mention Ticket Girl. She, she's just standing oh, yeah. around looking confused in just about every single shot she's in. Yeah, I like how um, Beach City is really treated as a small town. Like, those background characters are going to come up again and again and again because this town only has, like, 15 people in it. So you're going to see a lot of the same yeah. faces. And I like how they don't just, you know, design some other Mary Sue character every time they need some, like, more of a crowd. I actually wish they would do that, but fair enough. I mean, they kind of did that with, like, the parade with, um, Steve. But then, like, even then, some of the background characters are reoccurring, so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but I I liked, especially when Stefani's getting all worked up at Kevin at the beginning there, that you have classic anime face with just a few <laughs> frames rather than the fluid animation we're used to. Oh, my God. Steven's, uh, like, anger at Kevin, like, before they fused. I, I have just... to watch Initial D now. I have to. Oh, my God. Oh my Steven's, gosh. like, when, when, when Connie's, like, are you still mad? And it just zooms in on Steven's face. And he's, like, yes. Oh, that was so funny. I loved it. Did, did you see the ruby sapphire dynamic? They highlighted it pretty well. Uh. You know, Steven's the outwardly angry one and Connie's the inwardly angry one. Can't you see? I'm completely engulfed with rage. <laughs> I think, like, Steven's anger was more just, like, outgoing. 
Like, I think, like, yeah, definitely Stevens was more just definitely, like, he's always very emotion. He always has his emotions on his sleeve. Like, he's always very open with what he's feeling and is very bad at hiding, like, when he's upset versus Connie, who yeah. has very strict parents, like, has to hide. Like, when, when she's upset, like, you can't just, you know, like, snap at your parents' back. But Steven, you know, had the, you know, that luxury of being, you know, very open with his emotions. Yeah. And so Connie didn't. And you do kind of see that dynamic going on. So I think this was uh, I think this was a great week to start. There's some there's some stuff next week to be hyped about, but I, I guess we'll be talking about that all next week. I, I think there's I think there's something big coming. Was that it? Is that all the episodes? Yep, Beach City Drift was Friday. Oh my god, I was I didn't know until like today that the episodes didn't air on the weekends. <laughs> oh really? Oh. oh, thank goodness. We need a break. You know. True. True. I'm feeling like all these episodes, like I'm losing track. Like you're making all these references to the jokes. It's like I've seen like most of these just once. I I I've not had the time to really make in depth notes and analysis on these. Like this is mostly my first impressions. And oh, that's okay. We'll get in depth later. Don't yes. you worry. Can't wait. So we'll see you all next week talking about the second week of the summer adventure. The Second bomb to drop in this big old nuke. Until then, I'm GC13. I'm Sophia. I'm Ken. Employ your free will by leaving us a review on iTunes. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.